0: Thanks for listening to The Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to receive a code for Sherm credit. Now, enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of The Benefits Breakdown. My name is Adam
1: Compton here with... Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Jared Boecutt with you today. And I'm very excited for our conversation today. We're a little bummed we're missing our friend Vanessa. She's not able to join us for this recording. She had some busy schedule and prior obligations, couldn't make it, but we miss you, Vanessa. Sending a virtual heart your way, Vanessa. But I am excited for our conversation today, Adam. It's it's the time of year as we start to look out to the future. It's it's common to do at the beginning of the year. Our conversation today is something we've done historically here at the Benefits Breakdown. It's evaluate industry and market trends and, and look at some studies that have been done by some different organizations, and look at what is coming in the pipeline and what is of highest priority to the employers out there.
0: There's a ton, right? I think what we're going to focus a bit on the medical and pharmacy side, Jared, because that's just always the biggest dollar expense, but that's evolving to a lot of different innovative topics, fueling new partners, uh, innovative solutions. So uh, let's get into it and have some fun with the 2023 state-of-the-market report.
1: Well, I'm excited, too, because not only are we going to talk about the trends within medical and pharmacy, but I think there's some uniqueness in this year and as trends are evolving with the economic impact and what's going on with the economy. Because this is just a different time in the U.S. economy than we faced in the last few years with somewhat of a downturn in the economy what's going on with labor and how are we attracting and retaining talent? And is there still a shortage of labor, even though we're having a downturn in economy? So I think it's a different outlook than employers have had historically.
0: Well, we saw in 2021 and 22, consumer price index drove up you know, higher than I think we've seen in the past decade and beyond. And what we're seeing on the tail end of that is this really high push into what trends are for 2023 and beyond. And they're the key Indicators, the ones that we often see would might be our traditional medical trend. We're often we'll talk about this a bit more, but our specialty trends inside of our pharmacy plans are shooting through the roof in the mid-13s as a kind of a standard number. Um, but I think that's going to be part of this decision, whether you're fully insured, self-funded, whatever you might do, that's going to come to your renewals. It's going to impact your stop loss. There's going to be a lot of different pieces that we just might need to budget a bit differently and then in turn build plans maybe a bit differently than we have in the past. So I don't know, Jared, I think as we look towards 23, I mean, we're. it's kind of weird to say as we're into the first part of Q1 of 23, we're starting to think about 2024 and what those plans look like. So what would employers start thinking about or what are they considering inside of that financial decision for 24, and what can they do to prep for it?
1: Well, I think before you can prep for it, we need to have a good understanding of of what are those cost drivers? What are the main cost drivers within our medical and pharmacy plan, which is part of what we want to discuss today is what's driving the higher trend on medical than we've seen for the last few years, which is what is expected, and then what is driving the pharmacy trend, which is higher than been in nearly eight years is expected to be the highest pharmacy trend year than we've seen in a long time, and, and what is driving that. So understanding the why first, and then hopefully as our conversation evolves, we'll get into some solutions about what employers can be doing and focusing on to change that. I think understanding where things have changed in the market, um, maybe we'll, we start with medical and then we'll get into some pharmacy, but understanding what is driving that medical trend. And it's, it's a little different, expected to be different, this year as we've seen in evolution musculoskeletal has driven and been the number one cost driver for the last decade plus that actually changed last year and is expected to continue that trend into 2023 that cancer has surpassed it as the number one cost driver in healthcare. we've talked a lot about cancer and we'll continue to talk about solutions out there to help you manage that portion of it and improve the health of your your people but also why is musculoskeletal taking a little bit of a backseat? Is cancer surpassing it just because of cost, number of, of cancer diagnosis, understanding all of those things and putting a plan together for that? But also, is is there an issue with musculoskeletal? Is that a time bomb that is out there? Because we all know that over the last couple of years, there's been some delay of care that's happened that started with COVID. Is there something going on with delay of care in your musculoskeletal treatment?
0: Yeah, and what you do to impact that, I think that broadens into a very – kind of direct industry issue to you know kind of back into this trend number that we always talk about which is just mind boggling if you think about why something cost x amount of dollars this year versus the next but this year more than ever we have certain inflationary pressures which we talk about in the trend study we have that impact of delayed treatment we have pent up demand we've got staffing Challenges we have provider consolidation uh, and all these new treatments and technologies, kind of diving that ba- back into MSK or cancer that are are driving this shift in cost. So I think that's going to be a key thing for us to watch out And as plant administrators builders of of what we hope to be world-class benefit plans for your employees and families. Uh, there's going to be new technologies and partners that are even being embedded into the traditional carrier models that are going to be reaching people that frankly haven't been before. We've seen in some of our blue cross markets, the integration of certain MSK providers or certain blood pressure or cardiac uh, providers that are just embedded because these giants of healthcare are seeing the need to innovate rather than carve out. So I think you're going to have the ability to to mix and mingle a little bit. And I think the challenge to the employer population is to to not just maybe trust one, but validate verse one. And then where contracts are really going these days are are pushing into not just a flat PEPM or cost, but they are going to drive engagement many times where they're going to expect a certain ROI and engagement. If they don't, they're going to put their money where their mouth is, challenge those contracts, challenge what you're going to get out of them. And then you build that data point to build to see if it's working for your population. I don't know,
1: Jared, are you seeing the same thing or what else might be built on that? For sure. We've seen a lot of change in the, the book of the Blue United Signet, Aetna World, which are amazing, fantastic partners. And they've been a little bit more flexible the last few years as far as To your point, Adam, bringing in additional integrated partners, um, whether it be, like you said, in the musculoskeletal, cardiovascular, diabetes-type space, to help manage some of those conditions and bring in outside partners that they're willing to integrate that historically they haven't been. And I appreciate their flexibility and being a a more flexible partner. We've also seen many employers of varying size, from that mid-market to upper and large market, want to evaluate a a TPA versus the Buca model, and and are they wanting to, to change who is that administrator of their claims, and to find that more flexibility. And so I I think to that point, flexibility to have the right partners to manage each of these key areas of spend is becoming crucial for employers, whether it is in their traditional BUCA or with a a, a more flexible TPA. Um, But getting back to that large cost drivers in medical, I mentioned cancer, musculoskeletal, rounding out that list, cardiovascular is is in the third spot. Diabetes becomes the fourth high-risk pregnancy or maternity um, which drives into the, the NICU portion of that. And then, I don't know if this is surprising, but it is. And it, it this one has crept up over the last few years. Mental health um, oh, yeah. rounds out that number six spot. So, again, that list is cancer, musculoskeletal, cardiovascular, diabetes, high-risk maternity, and mental health. And each of those areas, areas that employers, if you're not focused on, you need to be focused on how you control each of these areas of cost. What do you see in employers do specifically, Adam?, Maybe in that cardiovascular and diabetes, which can be lumped into that metabolic syndrome, what do you see employers do there? Oh, there's so much. There's so much good stuff in that
0: space because the reality is that that population or comorbidities or the populations that represent those that have that disease likely have other diseases, and we're trying to find the number one resource and the service tool or mechanism that reach people. And if you're not focusing on the campaign to get to people, you're, you're missing the, the entire boat. You can put the best partner in, but you miss the ability to educate and actually drive outcomes. Uh, it ain't worth your time and it ain't worth your money. But it's one of those that we need to drive that in because if we don't fix one, we're going to actually they fix or break others or vice versa. It's going to be one of those that won't get better. I don't know if you're, you're seeing the same thing, Jared, but it just is – Uh, If you're not doing it the right way, you're not reaching people,
1: what's the point? I guess that's for all benefits, right? Why are we spending all this money? For sure. If you're not putting a program that can engage your people where they are in the right way, what is the point? Regardless of the program, regardless of the partner out there, you need to have somebody that's going to be flexible enough to connect with your people, whether it's in, like you said, a virtual setting, whether it's in a a one-on-one personal telephonic meeting or a brick-and-mortar type engagement, they need to have access to the right care to manage their given chronic condition, whether it is a cardiovascular, diabetic, um, behavioral, mental health, musculoskeletal, whatever it is, there's so many solutions out there today, so many solutions out there. And vetting and finding the right partners for your people is so crucial. The high-risk maternity one, just touching on that, I, we've also seen a bunch of solutions come to market there. And I, I give it to the, to the carriers. They are recognizing that we need to help manage this beforehand, get ahead of this. This is one that if you have a delay of care in, the statistics are crazy at what it'll drive for high-risk pregnancy. So having programs that can get out in front of that, finding, again, the right solution there for you and your population that'll meet your people where they are is absolutely crucial.
0: I mean, I think you're on similar emails that I get, Jared. If we have a certain high case claim that populates and it's an extended stay based off, uh, it's called high-risk maternity, each day is Tens of thousands of dollars extended at the hospital, and some of those, let's just be really frank, you can't avoid. You can't for sure project and predict all of them. But you're absolutely right. the 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 ongoing conversation, the the advocacy, the concierge type of method is really helping people get to the right solution. And I think one of the stats in here was talking about the reduction or people going back to traditional marketplace doctor visits. If we think again, forty eight uh, can't do. How many months are in a year? Let's go with 12. My goodness, 24. So if we worked backwards <laughs> 24 months ago. We thought we saw this huge decrease where doctors couldn't see enough people because they couldn't keep their doors open. We shifted virtual. And it's going back that way. But let's argue the point that we probably shouldn't get rid of some of this virtual care because it meets people where they might be for all of these different things that we just talked about. That's cancer. That's MSK. That's cardiovascular. That's mental health. Uh, Teletherapy is growing Uh, through the roof for the right reasons and I I guess I like it in my brain mental health is ticking up on on the stat when you read the report in a way almost like specialty pharmacy is like it was a small piece of this total spend but again if we take what is a traditional mental health claim and as we've talked about with Dr. Joel Axler in the past that that's often aligned with some other expense or absenteeism or presenteeism that that's that's a big dollar amount so um Challenge you to really think about that—not just on the dollar spent, if you're getting a claim report, but where else is that impacting your people, and how can you best support that? So engaging, teaching, coaching, getting them back into access points. I mean, having communication campaigns over the course of the year—not, hey, we did it an
1: annual open enrollment, we're good. Like that's not how that's not how it works anymore. For sure, no, I agree, Adam, and I think interestingly enough, I remember our friend friend of the show, Dave Ross, who told us a couple of years ago to look out for your behavioral mental health claims and that if we're not careful that this is going to become a larger and larger cost driver and percentage of large claim activity in the behavioral or mental health space according to this market trends that we're about to release here at brown and brown has nearly doubled Hmm. in the last two years so that's one that to, to your point we need to get out in front of you need to offer the right solutions for your people and manage access to care for this. I think that's one of the biggest drivers in this space is people not having great access to care and creating easy access to care, whether it's lowering the co-payment, creating a a broader network, finding an outside solution. But doing the research that's going to find the right way to access care for your people in the behavioral mental health space is just absolutely crucial and is becoming something that is, if it's not on your forefront, it better be very, very soon. Because if not that trend is going to continue to creep up. And we don't want it to get into the five, four, number three spot as far as cost drivers. Well, let's share some, uh, some ideas from the
0: report that you'll be able to read. But some of those things, the employer responses, one tie back to the money invested, uh, this huge shift from a few years ago to now where almost everybody's investing more into that. Some are staying equal, and most are, if the, the, the stat was investing less, was a very small line that we can't even tell how much it is. So the majority are diving into that, which means that as you attract future talent and aim to retain your talent, this is going to be something that employers will be trying to grab and pull, as well as you should when trying to get the best product out there, people. So there's those pieces that we talked about. And again, there's telephonic EAP. That's number one at the top. I would argue that be careful. Like those utilization numbers aren't usually super high, but they I think they're an important thing. And then it goes back to communicating that. Teletherapy, mindfulness, stress management, resiliency, sleep improvement. I think that's a huge thing. If, based off your market size and approach, there's different vendors and opportunities keep that one in mind, plus uh, happiness programs. We want to be happy. Let's figure out how to drive that. And that ties back into impacting your culture, training your trainers, creating anti-stigma campaigns. Flexible work schedules might fit for some, but ultimately have those abilities or even mental health champion or advocates that are going to be able to recognize and then coach and teach people. Happiness programs make me laugh, Adam. I mean, what is what's a happiness program? Benefits Let's, breakdown is happiness program. We listen, we get happy. Come on, everybody. But we're sad again, Vanessa, virtual heart. We miss you. But ultimately that is one of those where based off the culture, you got to find that one that really fits you and uh, we'll work on our own sure. happiness program. I, I'm, I'm kidding around <laughs> about that.
1: But yeah. I, th- I think finding finding happiness in your workplaces has become more of a forefront than it ever has been in the past. It was yeah. our parents' generation Would you go to work and you do your job because that's what you do. Now it's, it's become such a big part of making sure that that workplace environment becomes a fulfillment to your overall life quality. Finding enjoyment or happiness in your work environment is a huge, huge part of that. And we continue to see this evolve and it becomes more and more of that employer's responsibility to help create that fulfillment for their employees and for their teammates. Well, I keep thinking about then one of the best things that we can do as employers
0: for the marketplace serving our employees and their families is building a plan that's stable and that builds a plan that comes with less surprises. Because if we have those surprises or unknowns, we've all seen what that can be. And and I think even tying back into the marketplace of pharmacy for 2023 and beyond, we're seeing a huge impact of, of what have been some very high-cost drugs that have moved into the biosimilar market, which is a, a generic-like specialty drug alternative. So it's it's one of those where we see, you know, a big shift in that cost. If I can take somebody that might be on a very expensive drug and shift them into a better drug, I've just made them there's my happiness program right there. I've lowered co-pays and I've created opportunities to reduce cost spend for my organization. Uh so there's there's happiness all around. But I think for employers, watch out for those formularies. Watch what's gonna be evolving. Cause if you do those things, even Certain alternatives in the marketplace to find different specialty meds can help reduce costs and make people uh, have a better experience.
1: For sure. Well, I, I mean, I've shared this with our friends out there listening to the benefits breakdown in the past. But I take Humira, which is the number one drug revenue driver across in the United States at least, and so very familiar with this space and have watched the biosimilar market very closely, wondering when there's a few that are out there that are biosimilars to or for Humira. And just to catch up, I'm not going to get too technical on this because I don't want to slaughter this. We have friends that will join us in some future episodes to get into the biosimilar drug space in a little bit deeper. But for our friends out there, biosimilar is essentially the generic version of a specialty medication. It's not the exact equivalent like a generic drug is, but it's similar enough that that's what it may equate to. And so to your point, there are several high cost specialty medications where we are Expecting and hoping that a biosimilar will be released to the market very soon. I mean, there's a handful of them that could be released this year. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been watching it very closely for the last handful of years, expecting um, them to be released, and are very hopeful and expecting them to to hit the market um, by summer of this year um, for many of them. So, again, to your point, employers need to be on the lookout for that to find alternative treatment plans or alternative treatments, just like you would for a generic drug for a, a a brand name drug. These are coming and there are some ways to help alleviate costs but also continue to focus on high levels of treatment for your people. And I think we're going to
0: see that on top of that drug as a general uh, approach for other big drug makers. We have a list in this that shows patent experience expirations in 20 from 2020 to 2030 and there's a fair of them right down the middle from drugs that if you look at your top 20 drug spend I'm sure you will see on there and that will shift that the other side of that is we have innovation in the market drug companies aren't stupid I mean they're going to charge accordingly knowing that over time they're going to lose their patent and therefore have to shift their market approach so we're also seeing on the tail end or the uh, or the front end of that we're seeing the shift into more expensive drugs now which is again helping drive up that that drug expense. So a never ending ap- approach and shift from that to excess risk programs or carve-out programs or even specialty copay assist programs. Now more than ever, I think we're getting at is be a good consumer, kind of like you're buying a TV from Costco. You're not going to look at one and just pick one. You're going to shop it around a little bit.
1: Well, to your point, Adam, I think as an employer, there's just like managing the spend of the medical. There's a lot of programs out there, but it's finding the right program that's going to fit your population because not every program out there is going to fit Everybody the same, and so vetting some of these programs out there, knowing that there are several options out there to what I would call source your specialty medications in a possible different way than just the traditional method of filling a prescription, paying it as as, and not taking advantage of some of these programs. But vetting some of those, maybe it's the especially copay assistance programs that are out there. What is that program? How does it work? There are several partners out there that can help you take advantage of these things. But which one's right for you? Mm-hmm. Um, or a carve-out program. Do you carve out specialty medications and mandate that they're sourced through a different way to obtain this medication? Having knowledge about all the different programs out there is becoming more and more critical for employers, particularly in the self-funded space. Most of these programs we're talking about with the specialty medications um, in the last couple of minutes are more applicable to you if you are self-funded. But knowing what's out there, knowing what your options are, and Making an educated choice becomes more and more crucial for our friends out there that are plan fiduciaries. There was we had a partner of of the industry come in and talk to some of our teammates the other day,
0: Um, and I want to round out the specialty medication piece with this quick stat and and or thought. He said that the majority of our primary care doctors aren't necessarily going to school studying the Rx industry. Many times it's let's diagnose, which is what they're experts at, and then ultimately drive the the drug based off what maybe a system or or group tells them to do. And I think we're finding a lot of that advocacy drive into finding the right drug for people. And that is, I think, a huge piece that is underlooked. And sometimes if you invest in some of that, that I use the word concierge, it's probably not the right term, but some sort of management program to best manage the condition will reduce maybe cardiovascular risk or blood pressure. And then ultimately, again, that's a win for the employee and you as the employer. So I know a lot of pieces on the specialty drug that we can dive into. But what else is going on, Jared, in the world of marketplace trends that that we're seeing as we wrap into 2023?
1: Well, Adam, one of the areas that I wanted to hit, we, we talked about some of those cost drivers. We talked about some of the solutions that are possibly out there for pharmacy. But I think health innovation and managing, helping you manage cost is part of what we always try to talk What are some takeaways? What are some things that our, our friends out there could, could utilize to better manage some of these high-spend areas? And one of the things that, that we've seen continually, a driver of virtual care. But with that, how can we take that to the next level? We talk about all these solutions, whether it's a cancer solution, a musculoskeletal solution, something with the metabolic, uh, diabetes, cardiovascular, all these high-cost areas and finding solutions for each of them we've seen actually many clients that are integrating a virtual primary care and bundling that with or a, the virtual primary care becomes that concierge um, service for them Jerry could
0: you expand on that too like I think a lot of that's a newer term to the industry for those that might not know what virtual primary care let's let's cover that a little bit deeper if we could
1: for sure so I think everyone out there is familiar with telehealth and what a telemedicine provider can do it is somewhat limited right because you're going to call with more of an acute issue and they're going to help you resolve that. Mm-hmm. Virtual primary care has evolved. I, it's been in the marketplace for several years, but it's really sped up, I think, the evolution of it with COVID. Many of us had a, a visit with our primary care physician via a virtual visit um, where we had either like a ca- our phone camera in front of us or a laptop camera in front of us and we saw our primary care physician in a virtual setting. This marketplace has evolved to where there are many providers out there that it will do, and you can establish a virtual primary care physician. Instead of having a brick-and-mortar primary care physician, my primary care physician is now someone that is, I see 100% in a virtual setting. And we've learned through COVID that 80% of healthcare can be managed in a virtual setting. And obviously, if you need to get blood drawn or have an imaging service done or something like that, you're going to have to go to a brick-and-mortar place. But 80% of healthcare can be managed in a virtual setting evolution of the virtual primary care market has helped us to, to manage things in a much more cost-effective way to where I can go and have this virtual and establish a, a relationship with a single doctor. So the, the other benefit of it is if I'm seeing Dr. Compton for this virtual primary care and I schedule another appointment, I'm going to be see Dr. Compton again. So that's a change from the traditional telemedicine to, is that I'm seeing the same doctor over time You to establish that uh, patient physician relationship which we know is crucial. I think back to one of
0: our conversations with Dr. Eric Bricker as well, he also talked about one of the approaches or thoughts with virtual primary care was you often could be misdiagnosed if you're often going to the doctor uh, too often they're, they're gonna just ask for tests just to ask for tests. This is shifting a bit uh, and again you need to be there sometimes, but I think try it out explore, build that ability to reach people and I think we're just so used to doing things over a phone. We can do things that have really great outcomes, which is what's what you're just talking about there, Jared.
1: Yeah, and then the evolution of this has come in the fact that many of these virtual primary care um, solutions can now be your concierge service as well. So let's say that I go and make an appointment with a virtual primary care physician and I have this patient-doctor relationship. I've seen him a couple of times. I'm trying to manage my diabetes better. My employer has implemented a program with many of the, the diabetic management programs out there, whether it's Livongo, Amada, one of those out there, right? TRIA Health, something out there that's out there to help us manage my diabetes in a, in a more efficient way. This virtual primary care partner can now make a warm transfer to that solution out there that my employer has integrated, and it becomes a more co-managed partnership to where The virtual primary care solution refers me to Amada. Now they're sharing data back and forth, and it becomes a better way for me to manage my chronic condition, or a musculoskeletal solution, or, or, or. But they're helping us manage this chronic conditions in a much better way, where it's the primary care physician and the solution are working together to manage that condition. And I love that that evolution has happened to help care for people in a much better way.
0: And in a world where we have doctor shortages, nursing shortages, and we don't have the ability to find somebody within 50 miles of us uh, that are accepting new patients, we've now shifted that to meet people where they are and have the national support systems really help get people the right care. So um, I'm all on board with that, Jared. I think that's a great opportunity for employers. And I think as we there's so many pieces, and what we're excited to do is share the state of the market with the uh, the audience and our friends at the Benefits Breakdown. Uh, We are going to get this to you to review. If you have questions, let us know. We're here to help reach out to one of your Brown and Brown teammates, and we walk through these and other ideas
1: as you work into 2023. So, Jared, onward and upward. And then we could have gone on for hours, so <laughs> we appreciate you bearing with us. We, Adam and I, and Vanessa, if she was with us, can nerd out in this stuff for, for days. For so time. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun for us, and hopefully you're finding some benefit in some of these things that you need to be aware of, things that are coming and changing in the market, and, and hopefully finding ways to better your overall health and welfare benefits you're offering to your people. Because that's our ultimate goal here at the Benefits Breakdown. Thanks for joining us, folks. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time on the Benefits Breakdown and
0: have an amazing day. Thank you so much for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. This episode, in combination with our previous episode, titled 2023 Strategies with Ellen Kelsey, CEO of Business Group on Health, is eligible for one SHRM credit. The code for SHRM credit is 23DE2RQ. That's 23-D is in Delta, E as in Echo, 2-R is in Romeo, Q as in Quebec, This code expires after December 31st of 2023. So thanks again for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll see you next time on The Benefits Breakdown.